This is a Ski Podcast Avalanche special in which I will be getting all the information we need to make you and me safer on the mountain. Over the next 15 minutes or so, Dave Burrows from Snow Pro Ski School in Switzerland will be talking to us about snow layers, teaching me how to use a transceiver properly, and we'll be looking at the different types of avalanche. Then Ian will be taking over and talking to Caroline Elliott, an experienced search and rescue team member, about working with Fjord, a dog train to find people buried by an avalanche. Back in January, I visited the resorts of Anzur in Switzerland with my magic pass to ski with Dave and to get some hands-on avalanche training. The first thing he did uh, was have me dig in a big hole so look at the different types of layers that snow form over time. Uh, a clip of this next bit is actually uh, available in episode 51, but this is the full full Monty. Perfect. So what we're doing here, Jim, is we're digging a snow pit. And the reason that we're digging a snow pit is um, what we're going to try and do here is get a, an idea of what the snow looks like when it falls and compacts over time. And what this does is it gives us an idea, it gives clients and people a really good idea of what happens to the snow as it falls and starts to bond. One of the biggest issues being off-piste is that occasionally there are weak layers in the snowpack. So you could be skiing over something that's sort of been there for weeks, you know, a weak layer that's in the snowpack. And then the pressure of you, so the, the, the pressure of a skier skiing over something, goes down about a metre at most if you're kind of raising down a bit of off-piste. And what that means is if you, if you trigger a weak layer in the snowpack, that's when you start to see all of that stuff where the, where the, you know, the whole snowpack, you know, the face cracks and the whole thing just slides down. So we sort of see by digging the snow pit, you can see where the weak layers are and you can sort of do an analysis of what the snow's been like recently and uh, how it's bonded together over time. So we're on a, I would say this is a sort of north face, north-ish aspect. It was in the shade this morning, snow's coming, the, the, the sun is coming round, but there's not much melted away. There's quite a lot of snow in here, isn't there, Jim? We're about really a metre down already. Um, you ready to ask some stupid questions now? Yeah, go for it. Should we dig right to the bottom? Well, we're going to dig for a little bit more just until we... Should we dig to the ground? Well, if we can. If okay. we can't, we can't. Am I digging all right? Because yeah. um, I don't want to feel like, you know, when you go to the beach with your kids, yeah. and you're trying to make an uber construction. No, no, I'm not trying. The thing about digging, it's all about speed. So in, your, in the event that we, when we go and do transceivers and stuff later, it's all about... Speed digging? Get as much snow as quick as possible because there's only a limited amount of air if someone's buried, you know? Now, there's loads of snow in here. This is deeper than we thought. Yeah. Now, the next question I've got yeah. is, when do I dig one of these? We're doing this as an Mike, exercise. I'm not going to do this every time I go. No, you wouldn't. But and, and also, this would be different. This would be different here than it would be on the other side. So you wouldn't dig these before every time you, you ski off piece. But what I'm trying to do is give you an idea of what's under the snowpack. It's normally enough to scare people from going off piece, to be honest with you. Well, you dig up bodies. Not bodies, but like, when you identify a weak layer in the snowpack, and you'd know that it's not, you know, you don't see it, it's not there. It's, uh, it's quite a freaky thing. Are we allowed to just dig holes in the snow? Yeah. Do what you want. There's no one around. It's just those two guys ice, ice climbing. There literally is no one around. <laughs> Give you an idea, listener, we're about 2,300 metres up. 
And we're at least two metres down now and there's still no sign of the bottom. Two metres down? You've got a terrible sense of size. <laughs> um, do you have to fill this back in? Huh? Yeah, we should fill it back in later, but not now. <laughs> not now. Not while you still need not it. Not while I'm in it. About five minutes later, a hole was big enough to accommodate two slender skiers and we were ready to learn about the snow layers. Have you got a credit card or something on you? Now what we're looking for here, <laughs> so this is, or well, usually Magic Pass. Swiss Tourism Magic Pass, I use mine. Yeah, oh, I've got an Oyster Card, look at that. Oh, perfect. When do I use that? Perfect. Now, what we're looking for in here is you imagine that over, well it hasn't snowed in like three weeks, but over the last few weeks, um, over the, since the season has started, the snow started to fall up here, Different layers have fallen on top of each other. Mm -hmm. Now, depending on what fell and when, there will be different layers within this snowpack that's hard or soft. Okay? And actually, let's just try it with our finger to start with. So... Can I come in? Yeah. So what Dave's doing is he's running, he's like prodding his finger all the way to the base of this three metre hole that we dug. <laughs> Now you try the same thing. So what we're trying to do is feel for different density of snow. So oh, when right. snow falls, snow falls ideally if it's in snowflakes and it clings together. If it's cold enough, it bonds together. and It makes a quite solid snowpack that doesn't slide, doesn't avalanche. If it's rained up here, that puts like an extra layer of grease into the snowpack. If it's frozen on top, it creates almost like a little ball bearing-y kind of effect. Jim's now going to take his finger and he's going to very sort of tap the snowpack. So you tell me where you feel different different densities of snow. It's really getting harder and harder. Yeah. Which is what I would expect, right? Well, maybe, but you wait till you get there. Ooh. Yeah. That's quite um yeah. I can get my finger right in there. Yeah. Now that's right at the bottom, right? It's almost, what, two metres down? Three at least. Yeah. I say, so, I say a metre. Yeah. Now we won't, you know, we could keep digging. But what happens is, at the bottom of the snow, where the snow meets the ground, underneath here is rocks and grass and stuff like that, uh -huh. that temperature remains pretty much at zero. So you have what's known as a temperature gradient going through the snowpack. So this is staying... So that stays down there. It stays cold uh warmish yeah up here where it's more exposed here sorry in the middle where it's kind of insulated stays cold and up here it's getting quite hot because of the solar radiation on it right the sun is on it sure now what you have to do now is go right back down to the bottom of your hole scoop out a handful of snow from the bottom that soft snow that horrible stuff at the bottom yep all right and have a look at it and what you should see is a sort of, it's almost like balls, little cups. Yeah, balls. I mean, why do I rub it between my fingers before it melts? Yeah. It's got a grainy texture. Yeah, that's right. And then it melts away. Yeah. And that's called uh, surface hoar. And what that means is as, as uh, so, so that sits under the snowpack. And as the time goes on, you see these kind of full depth avalanches that come down, you know, later on in the season. Now, let's take your Oyster card and do the same test through that you were doing with your finger. Okay. So do you here, want to come in? You're right. No, no, I'm all right. 
So down there, Oyster Card goes through pretty well. It's cutting through the snow nicely. Eventually, I reckon, oh, there. Oh, look, I've got a line there, I've, I marked that. Okay, so about, what's that, 30, no, 40 centimetres down, Yeah. there's a hard layer in there somewhere, so we'll mark him off. So we, oh, that's much harder to cut. Oh, go soft again. Hang on. Soft again, oh, there. Uh, it's pretty even all the way through down there. Do you want to do that test yourself? Yeah, I do. Okay, so every time you find you feel a different layer, there, that's the hard layer, right? Yeah, right there. Okay, so that there is what probably happened there. And it's pretty even all the way down through the bottom. So this, I mean, if we can remember back, I'd say this is till, you are talking, is that one snowfall, right? Or I'd is say. It, is it, do they merge? Yeah, well, they do bond together. So if you get the right conditions of snow, if something fell on the top of this now, where it's all chopped up and skied over, mm. a bunch of snow fell on this, it would bond pretty well. But what I'd suggest has happened there, where that hard layer is, that's probably where the initial snowfall, snowfall came, or maybe the second big snowfall, and then it's frozen hard there. Yeah. And then anything beyond and up to here is is kind of the, the third set of snowfall. We only had, really had three massive yeah. snowfalls here uh, in the valley this season. So I would say probably there's another metre further below, maybe. Don't know, we haven't got there. It's going to be digging all day otherwise. But that this, this to me, says that this is a pretty fairly solid snowpack, actually. There's yeah. no real weak layers in here, is there? Um, I'm surprised. I, I think it's probably because I've just seen sensationalised pictures where you can see really clear layers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But here we've had lots of time in between snowfalls for the snow to, to bond together mm. and settle. And this is one of the biggest issues with people going off-piste in the modern era. There's so much media and so much stuff that the old mountain saying used to be, give the mountain a day before you go and attack all the off-piste. Mm -hmm. That doesn't happen anymore. As soon as it's snowing, people just like are ripping all the lines. That's why people are getting more and more killed in avalanches because they're not allowing the snow to settle. You know, they're also taking kind of, you know, there's other factors to do with that, but but it's one of them. These people just aren't waiting anymore for the snow to do its thing, to bond together. Um, but here, this is a pretty snow, stable snowpack. It's probably one of the best ones I've seen, actually. No issues of kind of skiing down here, for sure. Good, because it's a long way down. Yeah, <laughs> sure is. We're in a pretty extreme location. Yeah, yeah, next to the ice climbers. Yeah, they look cool, don't they? They do, don't they? Oh, he's gone all the way to the top. Once we'd stopped being distracted by the ice climbers at the tip of the Pasta Mombra and decided that I would definitely like a go at ice climbing and Dave definitely wouldn't, we filled in the hole and headed down to do some transceiver practice. Uh, use of transceivers. So Jim got a transceiver for Christmas. We better learn how to use it if you're going to go off-piste. So um, first thing that we're going to do is do a transceiver check. We've got to check that both of ours is working. So I'm going to turn mine on now. That's the noise of mine coming on. Mine's on. Okay, now mine says, it's important to check the battery level, mine says 99%. I put mine in yesterday. You put yours in yesterday, yours will, when you turn it on it will have a, it'll have like a, um, uh, a light that flashes depending on the, the level, it might even say it on the back. Um, so I'm going to check that yours is on, so I'm going to turn mine to search, you leave yours on send. Mm -hmm. Okay, and... 
sounds like one of those James Bond bonds about to blow up, but that is me identifying Jim's one. Defuse it, defuse it. Yeah. <laughs> now I'm going to put mine on send and you put yours on search. Okay, you ready for this? Yeah. Ooh, mine sounds like Mike a submarine. Yeah. Going well, this. Okay, so we'll come to how yours works in a second, but yes, it's working. All right. So I'll turn it off now. Uh, leave them both on send. So yours, Jim, is what they call an analog one. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a little bit harder to use. Mine's a, a digital one. But it's and not bad. Mine, yeah, I know it still works, but you still use it. I did. So I sound defensive then. No, I didn't mean. I meant it's not that bad, does it? No, it's fine. Uh, mine is uh, mine's got a sort of a digital screen that, that, that points you in the right direction. So in yours, you're going to have to work a little bit harder than mine, but it's okay. So what we're going to do now is I'm going to put mine in a bag, and we're, I'm going to put it down there at the bottom of the slope, or maybe I'll even just throw it down there or something. Um, and then we're going no. In fact, I'm going to put it down here somewhere. And then what we're going to do is go up the drag lift, come back down, and you're going to try to find it. But you're going to try and find it, obviously, while you can see it. And then we're going to, the second time we do it, we're going to bury it. Okay. So we've actually got to find it. Right. Okay? Right, let's go. You've got your bag. I can, I can see it, but I'm pretending I can't. No, well, you can see it. The whole point is you can see it. So but the... Show, demonstrate how difficult it is to find it. <laughs> okay. Is that what it, that's the point? Yeah, kind of. So the idea is that little me down there that has fallen under an avalanche has got his transceiver on send... And now I'm buried under the snow. So you've got, you know, about five minutes or so before I run out of air, approximately. And you've really got to find me, otherwise I'm not going to be very happy. Um, and you're pleased I'm here with you. I'm really pleased that you're here and it's the first time you're ever doing it. So, what we're going to do is your transceiver is an analogue one, so it's got a diagram on the back as to how to use it. And what you need to do is sort of ski across in a sort of zigzag, in a funnel, Gradually, as you're going along, you need to take this um, this this lever here that you've got uh, this this switch here, yep. and you're going down, and you're gradually trying to pinpoint the signal. So this sort of submarine sound is what we're doing. So we can't hear anything okay. really now. Well, we have to give it a chance to try and isolate it. So we're going to look for the signal. So you have to come with me. Okay. Okay. So you see here, it's got a lights on it. Yep. Where mm -hmm. the arrow is pointing. Red is good where do i found something here okay at the moment we haven't really found anything so we're just going to keep going across until it starts to pick something up and you can start to see we've got the red lights here right yeah so what you would do is take it down to a really low level obviously i'm going to be under the ground bring it closer to the snow is it over there no less strong is it over in that direction really there and eventually you'll find a place on the snow where the signal is really really strong when you've identified that we mark it with a box like that and then you dig as fast as you can um, the other thing that's important is you don't panic if you ski past you know you're panicking you're rushing you ski past the guy 20 meters to walk back up here can cost you you know, two minutes in deep Take snow. Take it easy. Take it easy. The, 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 it's kind of, there's a balance between getting it right 
and missing it. You miss it, you're kind of, you know, you're just costing yourself value. Do you know what my time. first instinct would be? Yeah. Take my skis off. Yeah, but then what? Just take your skis yeah, off? No, you'll sink, right? But it's yeah. going to be going through a lot of people's heads. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I wouldn't, unless unless it's so, it's impossible to ski. The idea is that you ski down. Your chances of getting caught straight away in a secondary avalanche is difficult, but then it's just one of those situations where you've got to you've got to make make the best of a bad situation. You know? Sure. Um, so that's that's if there's two of you. If there's multiple ones of you, you can both search. But normally it's better to have one searcher, one ready with a shovel, one ready with a probe. That yeah. bag was found in about. It's a lucky bag. It was about three minutes. Yeah. Let's bury one and see how long it really takes. Okay, should I? We're going to use my transceiver this time. Should it's I got not? Got an look? arrow on it, pointy arrow, and you're going to do it. Okay. And so I'm going to hold Should it. I go and hide behind that hut so I can't see where you bury it? Uh, to be honest, once I've buried it, you're you're not going to be able to know where it is. Right, Dave. Take me through the scenario. I've just watched my friend be buried in avalanche. Your friend and contributor to the podcast, Dave Burrows, buried in avalanche. Oh, you're buried in the avalanche? Oh, yeah. So there's an extra bit of pressure. I am really pressured now. So, uh, it's just happened. You know roughly the direction of the slide. Yep. We buried the bag, or me, and the transceiver is in there on scent. So Jim's currently searching, uh, putting the transceiver over. <laughs> can't move the slider. To the, I'm already gasping for air under. There we go. You got it. There we go, right, so take it out of the holder. Take it out of the holder. And let it settle just for a little bit so it starts picking up signals. Okay. Nothing. Yeah, it doesn't matter. So then we start to do the same thing as before and we just search the grid pack. So it's going pretty crazy. Okay, so just now try and establish a box using the sound as to where I might be under the snow. Alright, so that's the outer bottom limit, so you'd mark that with your pole. And then try and establish the outer side limits. Okay, yeah. Alright, and then at this point, yeah, so that's the good box that you've just drawn, and now you start to dig or probe into that area. So, in all, you could even use your poles to see if you can find something and lo and behold oh look there's a, it's a rucksack it's a rucksack with the thing in it oh i didn't even get the shovel out that's all right and it wasn't be... buried very deep but that's where oh crazy crazy machine still going so that's the difference between a real life situation what's the time and of the microphone dave the time of the microphone says four minutes ten four minutes ten so a minute longer to find a buried one yeah but so bear in mind also that in this situation I mean this is controlled and this, this is, is controlled away from the panic I would probably have felt yeah but at the same time this is buried 10 centimetres down yeah sure you know in a real avalanche you get people sometimes are sort of 3-4 metres down and that's you know that's when you're going to need like a little team of you digging hard as you can quick as you can uh, to try and to try and reach you and that's where the probe comes in as well mm-hmm. Ridiculous as it sounds, it seems easier than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that's taking out a lot of factors. Yeah. But it really suggests to me that if you have a transceiver, you're going to go off-piste mm-hmm. and you're going to do it, know how to use it. Practice it. Have a go more yeah. than once. I'm going to go and do this in the back garden. Yeah. I mean, obviously, it's slightly difficult if you 
No, but it's true. You can hide it, hide it in your garden, and go practice searching for it. I mean, there's 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 different ways, and I think that's one of the things that you might want to do if you're a sort of off piece town. Is that you you really might want to practice this at least once a season, at the start of the season, just so and, and make sure that your mates know it as well. That's the that's the other bit. It's all right, you well and good you knowing it, but if you're the one buried and they haven't got a clue how to use it. You know, I won't go and do any serious off-piste without people who know how to use the transceiver. So it's, the, it's the same old thing. You go off, everyone says, all right, we're going off-piste, and everyone got a transceiver. One guy says no. Yeah, it's like, no, no. Well, you're not coming, mate. Yeah. Yeah. It's just how it is. You can't, you can't take a risk like that. It's not, it's not necessarily my safety. I'm not worried about his safety. Yeah. But what's the point of going with someone with nothing to help you with? Yeah, exactly. It's not fair, is it? Joe, <laughs> you know, I was surprised that even though I was just looking for Dave's bag, how panicked I actually felt. And I can only imagine what it would feel like looking for a real person in an uncontrolled environment. Pretty scary, I'd imagine. The main bit of advice I think we can all take from this is, A, you need a transceiver, and B, you need to know how to use it. So make sure you do practice before you go out. We then moved on to talk about different types of avalanches. Here is me and Dave stood looking at a mountain range, spotting different types of slides. It's almost like we could be wearing an anorak and have a jotter with us. In this session, what we're going to do is um, we are going to stare at a mountain. Um, it's quite a nice range, and um, there are quite a selection of different types of avalanches I can see. Yeah. But you're the expert. You're going to tell me about them. Um, but, you know, Dave, first question, it is what? Uh, middle of January. Yeah. You know, should there be these avalanches happening? Yeah. Yeah, yeah the avalanches can happen all year round. And they can happen for various reasons. So the things that you've got to bear in mind is that there are there are a number of different types of main main avalanches the one that is probably the most prevalent is something called wind wind driven avalanches or wind slab okay called. what that means is let's say that the 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 wind here you can see the flag over there right and yep. it's going from left to right as we look at it so i'm looking for a wind lip so yeah. Can I see one on the top? You can see it's one on the top there, there, right? So that would suggest to us that the prevailing wind comes <laughs> from behind that range uh-huh. and dumps snow into that bowl there. Yep. So after a period of strong winds and snowy weather, you would have to be very careful about where you skied in that bowl because wind snow that gets dropped up and over ridges, it tends to have all those grippy edges that we talked about knocked off of it. And so it forms a very kind of loose, slabby kind of layer, not very well bonded on the lee side of that ridge. And that is something that is very, very, very likely to slide if it's on the, the correct slope angle. Mm-hmm. You can identify this kind of snow quite well because it, it has, um, it's a sort of extra whitey colour and it's sort of very soft looking, it's a bit icy. It's, yeah. it's, uh, it's, it's quite recognisable when you know what you're looking for. Um, that is, is a classic thing. It's called wind slab and it gets a lot of people. That's, that's, the wind is the main driver of a lot of the avalanche accidents that we have. So that one up there, it's yeah. been there for a while, so it's unlikely to fall. But if it did, it would be coming towards us. Yeah, and it's not so much the, cr- uh, the cornice that would fall, although you've got to be aware of that because they're very heavy and people, you know, they do sometimes drop on people's heads. It's more the snow that falls and loads up on the lee side of that range up there. Okay. Okay. Um, What's next? The next type of avalanche that, you, that, that, that is quite common would be a fresh snow avalanche. So it snows lots and lots and lots. Yeah. Often people don't give the mountain enough time to settle. They'll ski something and the snow isn't quite bonded to the layer, of, layer below and an avalanche occurs. 
Um, there isn't much evidence of that up there. However, if you look in this bowl there, yeah. do you see a sort of slide that has come down there? It's just in the light there. Um, to, to the left. To the left. So it's like I say that I, you see that quite a lot in resorts. I yeah, think. you do. And now that might have been from bombing, but I don't see how that could have been unless they dropped it in there from a helicopter. So there's a shoot up there. Actually. There is a shoot up there, and so that might well have come down that shoot, and it might have come. You often say I'm drawing a sort of uh, what would you call that shape, Jim? That it's a sort of um, teepee. A teepee that comes from a single point. Uh-huh. And often, fresh snow avalanches come like that. So... This is like a fluff. It's yeah, it, come, it. it sort of comes from a single point and it expands outwards. Mm-hmm. It's all very fluffy. It's like the classic ones that you see yeah. uh, in the images. The ones you know, that are cool. Yeah. yeah the cool big, avalanche. Big, you know, puffy ones. The, the ones that, that we were talking about earlier that are wind slab tend to come down as slag. So they come down like that. The whole thing goes like a big box. So a big square, like, big, yeah. as it says, a slab would just come yeah. off and look carving yeah, some yeah. meat. Yeah. The third type would be what we call snow, uh, an avalanche that's caused by a weak layer within the snowpack. So we dug a snow pit uh, earlier and we looked at this. We were looking for a weak layer in that snowpack. We didn't really find that much, but in, in sometimes the, white, the right weather circumstances and the right aspects of slope you you can have weak layers develop in snowpacks. So a weak layer could be caused by uh, uh, good rain, snow, then rain, frost, freezing, refreezing. Gravel, yeah, you know, that, that hailstone kind of snow, sure. you know, balls, so. um, anything that acts as a layer that isn't bonded to the one below. Mm-hmm. You could be skiing over it. Maybe 100 people could have skied over it before you, but you might be the one that triggers it. And you often see those with the weak layer in the snowpack. Like you might be skiing there, you'll trigger something, and actually, the crack will go all the way over there to, you know, hundreds so, of metres away. And that, like that whole classic, week layer... Like that classic cartoon situation where you see them on a bit of ice. Yeah. And then it suddenly cracks, 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 yeah, cracks, yeah, cracks, yeah. cracks, And that's what happens to the snowpack in that instance. Because that shock wave goes all the way through the weak mm-hmm. layer, wherever the weak layer is. And then that, that whole layer then comes down. Uh, so that's, that's another one. That's a difficult one to predict. Because you don't know where the weak layer is. You're just skiing over something. You don't know if there's a weak layer in there. Fresh snow avalanches, you can more or less predict kind of where they will go based on slope angle. Mm. We'll cover that in a minute. And I guess they're quite historical as well. Yeah. Like, if you're Um, in an area that you know well, you'd know that that shoot, that face, suffers quite predominantly from... Yes, if you're if you're if you're into it and you you're watching the forecasts and, and the snow reports and the avalanche reports, yeah, you 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 get to know the region for sure. The you won't the wind slab is re- is also kind of relatively easy to predict where it would be and you can see it. Um, most, that most, is also it's the most visually yeah, easy to. But the one that really the, the one that you you know is the, is the silent one is is the the weak layer in the snowpack. Um, the last one that you might see is when you've got a face here. So, for example, that thing up there that I, we, we looked at earlier, where you've got a full depth avalanche, which is just caused by the sun being on that. So that one there is just a case of that snowpack there is just heated up so mm-hmm. much because it just gets the sun all day. And it's just taken it away. It becomes weak and it goes all the way back down left to the surface. Left a bare face of the mountain. You sort of see that quite often at the back end of the season. You see these mm. big cracks and you see whole slopes just kind of falling down mm. um they're, they're they tend to move quite slowly and you don't really want to be caught in one of them because they're very heavy 
and they set like concrete around you, they're horrible. But it's unlikely that you'd be skiing underneath something like that anyway, because the snow would be terrible. Um, so these are these are things to think about. Now, the last piece of this jigsaw is that most avalanches, 90, 90% of avalanches happen on a slope angle between 30 and 45 degrees. Okay. And so um, in normal terms, where would I find, where would I go and I'd be on a 45 degree slope? A steep red, a, a is, steep is, red. is kind of somewhere between 30 and 45 degrees. And actually this is, you know, the avalanche fatalities are relatively speaking compared to skier numbers not that high and it's because most people can't ski that steepness of slope off piste mm-hmm. so you don't find that many people go there that's why it's often the really good guys who get buried and, and killed because it, they're, yeah, they're, they're, they're attacking that kind of thing now you can see there on that slope you know that, that sort of slough that's come down there yeah. that we've seen where that slope ends or where, where that big pile of snow is that sort of finished avalanche hasn't quite made it to the bottom yeah, of the bowl it's run yeah, out of energy it's run out of energy well, that means that the slope angle has then returned to somewhere below 30 degrees so it slid from the higher point you see up there that yeah. slope would have been so that's a think it's a fresh snow snow avalanche from weeks ago that's just stayed there but that has slid from something uh, uh, 45 degrees or maybe more and it has gone down into that sort of bowl that con concave bowl there and it's run out of gas because it's run out of slope angle and that's why it's all living there just sort of halfway down the slope because it hasn't got the requisite slope angle to slide anymore now um you know, there's got to be a few ways to test, work out how what a slope angle is. I yeah. think the first one is, shitting hell, can I go down this? <laughs> well, that's one, yeah. <laughs> what, what other ways can I, can I do that? It's funny you should say that. So there's a number of apps uh, that, we, that we can use that measure slope angle. You can do it with your, your smartphone. There's also a clever trick that we're going to go and do, but we're just standing on a flat bit here, so we need to go and find a slope. Yeah, we need to go and find a bit of slope. And do you know what? I'll take some pictures of it, Dave. Yeah. I'm going to put it in the show notes. Oh, and so we went for a very, very little walk to measure some slope angles. But before that, it's worth just mentioning again that we have a lovely sponsor called Switzerland Tourism. Thank you very much. Um, it was their help that made us record this wonderful episode for you. So thank you to Switzerland Tourism. Thank you to Magic Pass and thank you to Anzur. Uh, I do recommend going skiing there. It's thoroughly good fun. Um, also, this topic of avalanche was actually a suggestion by a listener who got in touch with the show, turns into a full-blown special episode. Don't forget, you can get into touch with into touch. You can get in touch with this show um, by um, going on Twitter at the Ski Podcast. You can go on Facebook and find us. Email Jim at the Ski Podcast or Ian at the Ski Podcast dot com, or go on to the Ski Podcast dot com if you can't remember what I just said. Right. Let's get back to two out-of-breath people in the snow who clearly hadn't walked as far as they were pretending to, as you can still hear the music from the lift station. Right, so me and Dave have literally hiked up five, less than five metres. We're both exhausted, like two old pensioners Yeah, uh, trying to catch a bus. Well, funny you should say that. You know we were searching for transceivers earlier. Now imagine you ski past your mate and then you had to walk back up. We've only walked up five metres here. It's exhausting, isn't it? Yeah, I wouldn't... you ski past your mate by ten metres. Yeah. It'd take forever to get up there. I mean, who's going to be more frustrated? <laughs> you or your mate who can just hear like, you... God! ...heard the beeps go past. Yeah. Right, so we're here to talk... Uh, we're talking slope angle now. Um, I don't know how steep this is. 
No, I don't know. Would you ski down this off-piste yourself? Um, I think I would, yeah. Okay. So let's see. Um, so this is the plumb line method. Okay. Using two ski poles. You don't need an app. Don't even need a smartphone. So you pop your, pop your pole flat on the snow enough to make an imprint at the top and the bottom. So that's the length of my pole there. So you've made an imprint on the snow of the pole. with your pole. Okay. What we're trying to do now, we put one of the poles with its end. Where you've made the imprint. Where you've made the imprint at the top of the handle. And you hold it up, doesn't matter what angle. The other one, you hang as a plumb line off of it. Okay. And where it touches the snow, we make a mark across. Yeah. <laughs> so once I've got this and I've drawn my little mark in the snow, now I know that if this angle was all the way down here, so at the bottom of the imprint in the snow. So you've got a larger triangle. If it's hanging there and it crosses there, I know that to be 30 degrees. Why do you know that? Because maths tells us so. I'm not a mathematician, but other people have worked this out. That a, a hanging plumb bob line like this is 30 degrees if it hangs and touches, the, kisses the snow at the bottom within its own length. Okay? okay? There's someone, your podcast listeners will be able to tell you why that is. Now, each... Can I just uh, rewind? Because I, yeah. I need to really describe this, because yeah, yeah. it's actually quite tricky. <laughs> it is. So Dave has formed, uh, he's drawn the line yeah. in, the, in the snow with his pole, made the imprint. I've made he's the then, imprint. He's then put the tip of one pole at the, the far end, the top end of the slope. Yeah. He's then taken the other pole, and he's hanging it with his hand to form a triangle. And as he moves his hand with the slope... Yeah. The triangle is increasing, yeah. and when it comes into contact and stops hanging, we're that, saying that's 30 degrees. No, that is just the angle of this slope. That's the angle of that slope. If it goes all the way to the end of the imprint, and that's where it kisses the snow there, that's 30 degrees. No matter what size pole. Yeah. Okay. Okay, unless you've got two different size poles, in which case You're it idiot. throws the maths off. You shouldn't be doing what you do no. in the first place, right? <laughs> you shouldn't be up for these other things. Right, so each 10 centimetres back from the end line, yeah. the whole length of its thing, is 3 degrees. So there, is that 10 centimetres, do you agree? Yeah, I'd say 10 centimetres, I'm happy with there, that. There, so that's 27. And then my imprint, where I've, I've hung the pole is about another 10 centimetres back from that. So this slope, I therefore deduce, is 24 degrees. 24 degrees, not very steep at all. Well, I don't know. I mean, look at it. Would you ski down a pitch like this? I'd say there's not many recreational skiers who could ski off-piece down a pitch like this. Ah, there's two, two questions there, Dave. Yeah, would but it's I, true, right, I mean, I? This is what I'm saying. I mean, I would. I couldn't say I could. Yeah, and this is what I'm saying to you. So that, if this was 30 degrees, yeah, it was be, quite a yeah. steep slope, that. I was, this is, I mean, you would, if you wouldn't take a beginner skier down here, no. if it was a pisted slope, would you? It's no, too steep. Not at all. Your average blue kind of um, beginner green bunny slope is about 15 degrees. So this slope here being, I don't know, what are we, 24 degrees, it's reasonably steep off-pitch pitch. 
but you'd be reasonably safe on something like this. 30 degrees is actually quite steep, mm. and 45 degrees, you know, you'd be serious stuff. You're almost standing up. Yeah, touching the hill like that. Yeah, serious. So these are, you know, this is why I'm, you know, when we do days like like this, or we kind of give this kind of information. There are plenty of slopes around where you can get some lovely off-piste done without being in danger. It's only then when you really take it to the next level when, when it all starts to get really, really serious. OK, so a huge thanks to Dave from Snow Pro Ski School for helping me get some better understanding of avalanches and how to use my transceiver and everything else. Snow Pros do actually offer avalanche training throughout the year, so go to snow-pros.ski for more information. Well, that's my bit of the podcast Avalanche special over. Here is Ian to introduce his. Hi, listener. Ian here. If you listen to episode 47 of the Ski Podcast, you might remember our interview with Caroline Elliott, uh, owner of Fjord. Uh, Fjord is a search and rescue dog, and I asked Caroline about how Fjord and other dogs are trained to find avalanche victims. Great. So um, I'm here today with uh, with Caroline Elliott uh, from Fjordsar, which sounds like, uh, well, I wasn't quite sure what it was really, but I realise now, having looked at your website, that Fjord is your dog and Sar stands for search and rescue. So I take it Fjord is a search and rescue dog? He definitely is. Fjord is a predominantly avalanche search and rescue dog, uh, ex-fire brigade, because um, I was in the fire brigade with him, the mountain rescue unit. And he's also trained in earthquake and air scenting uh, rescue. Right, okay. <laughs> uh, so quite a lot of ground there. So how did, I mean, how does that come about? How does he get those sort of trainings? Because on the website, I had a little look there, and it says uh, talks about how Fjord got his qualifications. I kind yeah, of yeah. imagining him sitting at a desk, tapping away <laughs> on a laptop. <laughs> Well, Fjord, um, yeah, he's. Um, we started at the age of three months training our dogs. Um, it's all about playing, play, 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 play. And they associate um, finding a person with their toy, their favourite toy. And when they're mature enough, they go to the dog school or the, um, the, the training, which is run by the NNNR, which is the um, snow, I'd say snow safety training organisation in France. And okay. they get to pass the two, it's about two weeks long, the exam. Um, so over sorry, that... how old are they at this stage then? Well, Fjord was a two years and two two months, I think it was. Right, and but, remind um, me what, what breed um, He's Fjord a is? French flat-coated retriever. Okay. And dad comes from Sweden, or dad did come from Sweden. And my mum came from, dad was, um, yeah, Swedish stock and mum was French stock. Yeah, well, if people want to look at the show notes, uh, I'll put a, a, a photo <laughs> of the very, very attractive. Yeah, he's a very regal-looking Viking dog. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> excellent. And so he did, or he did, you did together these exams too. So you are a qualified pister, is, is I'm a yeah, saying? I'm a qualified pister socorrista, as we say in French. Uh, it's just the French equivalent of a ski patroller. Um, we have three levels. We have um, the basic level, which is one. They're going up to the second. And then the third is more designed for the head of uh, ski patrol unit in, in France. So I've okay. done up to the second level from the Chamonix Alpine School. 
I mean, it's very interesting, the timing for this conversation, because we've had people on the podcast recently ask us about, you know, avalanche safety. But we also there was a program that you may may not have seen. It's on yeah. the channel called W Channel, called yeah. Ski A&E. I haven't seen it. it but in, yeah. in Val Terenz. Yeah, they did a couple of scenes where they showed the dogs doing the practice. Yeah where people are kind of buried uh, under the snow and then they have to find them. And in fact, I think I saw on the website, that's one of the things that you can that's one of the things do, I, isn't it? Yeah, I'd like to offer that because it can be done in quite a secure environment, as in it's set up in a way that it's not dangerous. So people can actually feel the the darkness as when you're in a hole. Um, the holes mm. we actually produce are actually very, very large and you can sit probably lie two or three people in it and go, I always choose to go in and basically hide for the team when I've actually had a good French lunch <laughs> then I can go to sleep but obviously the dogs find me too quickly and I always get a bit annoyed with the dogs when they find me too quickly so I don't get right to but I mean that is that is the idea for them to find you quickly right? I know I know but I mean when I want to write like sometimes I don't sometimes because it's very uh, it's not that easy for a dog to find their their senses like 40 times stronger than our own uh, or um, our capacity for our nose but yeah. they still, it is very complicated for a dog. It's not easy. Wet snow is a lot more difficult. Powder, aerosol, avalanche is a lot easier. So a lot of air and the particles in the snow cover. Um, so, yeah, it's actually quite technical for a dog. Um, so we have a way we actually can can, can um, block these holes up with a piece basher, which means there's no resident um, uh, extra smells on the snow for the dog, which will pick up. Because a, yeah. a dog is a very, as you say, malin in French, he's very, very smart. A dog will pick up anything. Hence, yeah. the if you're on a, in an avalanche, you don't smoke, you don't eat. In an avalanche scene, you keep everything away. Uh, this is the second part of our interview with Caroline Elliott, owner of Fjord, a search and rescue dog. In this segment, Caroline explains how Fjord helped to rescue someone from a real avalanche. And then we finish our chat talking about the importance of ensuring you know how to use your transceiver if you have one. Now, to reiterate, Fjord is a search and rescue dog. Yes. And you are a qualified um, Pista ski patroller. Yeah. And that's right. I seem to recall from, you know, looking around your uh, website that when yeah. you were previously based in, was it Garrett? Is that Garrett? Yeah, Garrett. Yeah, yeah. Garrett. Yeah. Garrett. Yeah. Yeah. That you were involved in, a, you and Fjord were involved in an avalanche rescue. Yep, we were. Yep, yep. Um, ironically, this is the the crazy side of of pista and, and dog handling. The majority, of the 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 majority of the accidents are actually happening in the resort. We have about four hundred a season, four hundred evacuations. Whereas we have about three or four avalanches. Where these avalanches do occur, they obviously are pretty serious. Um, I actually was not in the resort when the accident happened. It was a family who were. Probably bored because the resort was shut um, right. at eighty percent, ninety percent. We'd had an avalanche come down from a, um, um, a couloir called the Z, for obviously its shape. That was an aerosol avalanche, which actually blasted the whole of that side of the sector and and also the bottom station of a a chairlift. Um, so it was very unstable, hence it being five over five, and um, meaning that, the the scale on the on the uh, on the avalanche, avalanche scale. scale, yeah. So normally a resort should be shut, but they they took a decision to open the beginners area, which yeah. wasn't at risk. 
but so someone... these guys weren't on the beginning they were no, walking no, no. on the road yeah exactly so that area was there and this this they ended up going walking quite a few people actually were on the road there was a barrier down saying avalanche risk barrier down road shut so as a so, not- if so, like, just to interject, if you ever yeah. to see that warning, here's our tip for the day. Okay, when is- it says road closed because of avalanche danger, don't walk along it. <laughs> yeah, well, fortunately, we can talk about this one because you know, essentially, there was a there was a happy ending. Is it? This yeah. was a was it a family of four? Family of four. But just quickly going back to your point, yeah, same things for ski slopes when they say they're shut, they're shut. Yeah. Just another bit there, because also your insurance doesn't pay. So if you have a major accident or you cause a major accident, your insurance is void, and also you're putting out other people at danger. So yeah. that's good. So go back to the family. Um, yeah, they have a local family, a local butcher's family, actually. Um, two little girls, uh, about four and seven, they they were. Mum and Dad were—they're whisked off down. A, it's a very—it was a very small avalanche in comparison to what we can can go out to. Uh, they're whisked off down a very narrow couloir, um, very wet, typical wet Pyrenean. I'd say snow when it comes in from the west. It can be quite uh, moist. The snow chucked off. Um, I was actually sat on my sofa with a very bad cold. I had the call come in. I was my day off and I was asked to basically, if I could, um, get uh, to the airport, not to the airport, sorry, to the hospital drop zone kind of um, emergency um, heliport to go out to this avalanche. I went in the helicopter. Um, My dog handling colleague got there quicker than me going on on land because he was in a car. So the helicopter couldn't actually even get to this area because the we- the weather was so bad. Right. Okay. We went. Yeah, I went and and cut a very long story short. They all came out um, thanks to the dogs because obviously um, people walking on a road unless they have reco in their in their clothing, um, yeah. there's no way it does you happen can detect sometimes them. these days. But yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Reco I work with Reco, and I'm a great believer. If you can have Reco as much as 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 an avalanche, you know, not sorry, as 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 well as an avalanche and transceiver, just get as much as you can on you, just in case that does occur. And especially for children, if they've got Reco on them, they won't generally have an avalanche transceiver. So if, unfortunately, due to a bit of the climate change, which is happening everyone's in denial or a lot of people in denial avalanches are becoming more frequent and sometimes they're coming onto slopes when they shouldn't be even though there is control bombing going on so these family came out the little girl um four years old bless her she stayed under for over two hours over two hours yeah i know under two meters of snow um as she came out was that, came out. was that luck? Because yeah, if I, in, I can't recall the exact numbers, typically you wouldn't normally minutes, survive, yeah. would you? Yeah, fifteen minutes. But it's um, like a um, quite a few factors come into to play. There is there an air pocket due to the fact there could potentially be blocks of because it's wet snow, or the fact that she's that young when they're four. I think I'm a great believer in the mental capacity or the, your mental um, uh, persuasion. If you know you're in an avalanche 
as an adult, I know once I'm in an avalanche, I'll be going 15 minutes, 15 minutes, because I know the statistics and I know a lot mm. about avalanches. Whereas a child would have no idea what happened to them. She would have whipped, you know, whisked off by this, this wave of snow, chucked below. And then she probably, because her body temperature went down to 31 degrees, she probably would, would gone in, fallen into a sleep she couldn't fight she couldn't get out so she probably went to sleep and her oxygen um necessity is a lot lower than that that of an adult so there's lots yeah. of factors gone in okay. there but but she, she, came out. she wasn't wearing a reco uh and no. therefore she was found by search and rescue dogs, she was found dogs yeah she was found by some um first because some was on the scene he indicated which is basically an indication is when a dog scratches and then wags their tail and barks it basically yeah. it's an indication means they're indicating to us they found something again a dog will indicate it doesn't not always on top of the person they can indicate two meters down two meters above to the side you've then got to read your dog and then fjord came in and and, and did a second indication which is basically you get a dog to confirm the other dog um what he's done um so yeah they they came out thanks to the dogs and, and really, so they narrowed it that the dogs can, with the dogs then you're saying you've got a kind of two meter radius or, or something and then you need to use your um your uh poles to uh, yeah probes so basically what we had then was um we call it a vague de sondage in french so basically you've got the um you've got your line of 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 probers so that was a mix of ski instructors ski patrol who'd been brought down and anyone they could get who would be you know who knew what they were doing to a to a certain extent so they were doing um probing so they came up and probed and then that's that's when we found the little girl like us, it must have down. been such an amazing feeling when you actually discovered the body there and you, yeah. you know you found her and she was alive because mm-hmm. I'm guessing you would have thought by this stage that you know maybe she wasn't going to survive. Well, right? exactly. I mean, none of us thought that after that time time period because we know the statistics that yeah. they would come out. And as I say to this day, there's no form of 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 um, uh, what's the word scar, mental scarring, or anything. If, if anything, it's the parents who now have had a lot a long you know hard think about what they did yeah. um, and, and i think there's there's two things from that one is that you know fjord was you know involved in saving mm, someone's life which mm, just proves the value of search and, mm, and rescue mm. dogs and the other thought that crossed my mind just now is that um you know if you have your avalanche uh, safety gear even if you're not thinking about going off piste if you carry a backpack you should carry it around with you anyway because you never know when you might need to use that probe in these kind of circumstances to you know help someone else yeah it's it's as I said, yeah and that the essential thing also is actually knowing how to to to, to do these these probing and then you really know need to know how you use that transceiver um, yeah. and i can you know, reinforce, I don't know, 10 times over, get out on your garden. Sounds really silly. Get out in your garden, hide it in your flower bed, you know, and then if you've got two, obviously, you need a second one. But go and practice, practice, practice. You can't expect to get in the resort and go, oh, I just turned it on. How does it work? Because that is going to save someone's life. And once the stress comes in, and I've, you know, I had um, the other extreme of the case, really quite sad. We actually had a case of a, a kid who didn't come out, but he had a great GoPro filming everything. He had no beacon, nothing. His dad took him down an area which he knew, again, the humour factor, knew extremely, extremely well. You know, we go there every year, typical scenario. We know the area, been coming here for years, took him off. He set up um, a slab avalanche, two metres of the break was two metres, you know, um, in depth. So that amount of two snow. Two metre, right, right. Okay. Yeah, so you can imagine the amount of snow, the weight, 
the poor 14 year old he didn't come out he's gopro though filmed everything so I can't accentuate enough if you're going to make a decision to buy your kid, you know, your children or or your partner something, <clears throat> buy that. Yeah, well, that's Eva, a very good point, no. uh, Caroline. And, and you know, what, part of um, you know what we've been covering since we had a couple of questions about uh, avalanches. Uh, Jim's got a feature, uh, you know, learning. He's recently got himself a transceiver, mm-hmm. learning how to use it. Mm-hmm. And we've got another session about uh, you know the. Um, you know, assessing avalanche uh, mm. a risk as well, but l- yeah. knowing how to use it is. Doesn't matter. Thing. It doesn't matter how modern or how. I mean, obviously they need to be tested. But even my, I, for example, I had an old school ski patrol boss, loved him to bits. Fred, his name was, and he used to work on the old Autovox F1, which is really, really old school. But he swore by it. Uh, I've actually <laughs> and, got you know, one here. Yeah. I've literally just upgraded from. Uh, uh, analog to digital this yeah. work, my yeah. one i was using up until last season yeah. was an autobox m2 yeah okay and you know it worked i mean yeah. when i went out with guides you know yeah. they just check it as long as yeah. it beeps you know yeah. it, it's fine as long uh, as it beeps and but as long as you know how it. to use it exactly yeah, yeah. well yeah. when i went um out with um uh, james or heli ski and alanya one of the first yeah. things we did before we went out heli skiing was we had to go through uh, uh, testing. They have those, I um, can't remember what the acronym now is, but those testing areas where you could, they have uh, three or four buried in different places. Yeah, an Abbey Park. Like a, there you go, yeah, an Abbey yeah. Park. Oh, yeah, okay, you. yeah. Yeah, those. And um, obviously when you've, uh, yeah, you know, they still work, yeah. but actually the digital one is so much better in oh, terms it is. of display lot... and giving an indicator for what's going on. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, again, I say to people, go out. You're all going to go out in a group. You generally go out in a group. Get, when you get to the resort, before you do anything, or obviously get into your apartment, your chalet or whatever, if there's enough snow kind of next to your, your place where you're staying, or on the way, if you want to go for a, the, you know, your happy hour, whatever, stop for half an hour, hide, you know, hide a couple and practice. And I don't know, have a game, whoever finds the first one, you know, gets a free drink or so. Just do something before you even start your holiday, train yourselves a bit. You don't need a navy park. You just need to obviously have a you know enough um, beacons to actually practice. You've got two, two's enough. You yeah. know, you hide one well, and use one. That, that's great, Caroline, and some great advice to finish off with. So, um, thank you very much for your time, and all the best to you and uh, Fjord for uh, this winter. A huge thanks to Dave and Caroline for helping us make this podcast. Also, our thoughts are with Caroline as Fjord sadly passed away earlier on in the year. That's all from us in this Avalanche special of the Ski Podcast. We'll see you soon. Until next time, take care. The important thing is to remember that Ian demanded this. Yeah. And like a sort of skiing Batman, I came. Yeah, you did. You know? That's how I'm thinking of myself. If you sort of project a sort of skier light into the sky. I'm trying to work out who I am in all this. <laughs> Robin. Robin. Butler. <laughs> Wilson. What was his name? Wilson. <laughs> no, that's the guy from CI. Anyway. <laughs>